This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, certainly the newspaper industry has gone through an extensive shift in the last couple of decades as the digital component has risen sharply. So where does everything stand right now? Pleasure to welcome in David Rubin, who is the chief marketing officer for the New York Times, to ask him about that and much more. David, great to have you with us. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. So where do you think everything kind of stands within this industry? Because obviously the dynamics from, I mean, I'm 55 years of age. I remember the days of going to the corner and picking up here in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Daily News. Uh, How much of that print component is still left and how much of it has transferred to digital? Yeah. So, um, um, you know, first thing, we really don't think of ourselves as a, you know, as a print business or a legacy media business. You know, we're a digital consumer subscription news source. We're kind of in a category that's nascent and, and just beginning to, to show its power. Um, you know, there's a couple hundred million people who read um, digital news uh, every month, and there's a, only a fraction of them pay for it. Um, good news for us is we're, we're doing well in that context. Um, you know, we just announced uh, at the end of Q4 um, that we have 10 million paid subscriptions. Um, 9.2 million of them are digital only. Um, so that gives you some idea to your question. Um, over a million of them are for our cooking product. Another million are for our games product. Um, we have 1.2 million that are for the athletic, which is um, you know sports that we just purchased. So can't take full credit for that. But um, um, and and even when you look within our core news product, um, we have a million subscribers who are outside the U.S. Um, so you know it's interesting if you look back at the beginning of our paywall in 2011, most people thought it was a pretty bad idea, but the people, the pundits who said it, it was, they liked it. Um, the ones who were the bullish said we might get to a million subscribers. Mm-hmm. Today, we have four products plus our international only business, all of which have a million plus. So the business is really is really growing well beyond what people thought it would. And the real question is, how high can it really get? You know, we, we, we've said that we think we've got an addressable market as, as big as 135 million worldwide. Um, now, that's the addressable market. Um, and we've set, a, we've set a public goal of 15 million um, subscribers, so doubling from where we are today. So a lot of that really does ride on the brand, the New York Times, what it's been known for, for decade upon decade upon decade, the trust that the consumer has in that and where you're able to take that with all of these different elements that you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, look, the, in many ways, you know, particularly because look in our industry, there's lots of free sources, you know, imagine in most businesses, if what you had to compete with wasn't charging at all. Um, that's our world. And we've got to convince people not only that we're a better choice than other choices, but that we're better than free. Um, and that take you really got to believe something's different to pay for it when you cannot pay for it. Um, and a, a lot of that for us depends upon, you know, believing that you're going to get quality, original, independent journalism every single day and a whole lot of topics, enough that it's worth putting down money for. Um, and, uh, and that becomes sort of a, a consistent brand impression that we have to give. Um, and, and trust is a big part of that. So earning our readers trust. And, and, and to a degree, I, I guess there's an element of entertainment that you, you want to bring into this as well. And I'm thinking you mentioned about the purchase of The Athletic, but there's also the recent word that 
word being the operative word here, that you guys were going to purchase Wordle. And it's something that, you know, my kids play, they love playing it, but that's, you know, another piece to the puzzle as you kind of look at this overall brand and what it's going to be over the next several decades. Yeah, there's a consistent thread for us, which is that we think we help people understand the world. Um, we seek the truth and we help people understand the world. That's that's our mission. And we're looking for, within that, as with any subscription product that you know you pay for every single month um, and have a long-standing, long-term relationship, people have got to see a lot of value in that. And so for us, that means meaning more to more people, right? It means engaging people around a whole host of topics in their everyday lives on an right. everyday basis. And so the, take The Athletic, for example. You know, what The Athletic does is it, it, is it connects through the, the passion that people have for their local sports teams. People who have a commitment to a, to a single team will read anything all the time. That equals engagement for us. And so we're able to then bring people to our products on a regular basis. Wordle is, is at, you know, tens of millions of people are playing that Every morning, we have people waking up at 12.01 so they can play the new word, right? That's the definition of something that has value in your life. And so, um, uh, you know, um, even if we're not charging for Wordle, which is certainly our plan today um, to keep it as a, as a free product, um, uh, it still provides that engagement, but yeah. then allows us to monetize the, you know, the rest of the subscription offering. Well, and, and I guess to agree, it builds off what has been a legendary piece for the company in you know decades is the New York Times crossword puzzle. It's kind of that. It's a little bit of that same mindset, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Like I said, uh, you know, a, a couple of questions ago, we already have a million plus paid games um, subscriber base, right. um, and so uh, you know, maybe they're not the you know, and 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 some of crossword is one, but spelling bee is another one, and people talk right. about that and they play it together, and 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 what's what's great about games is it becomes a community aspect. You know, people play it together. Look, it was true when it was in a paper form too, right? People right. play it together. They use it to connect with their family members, to connect with their, you know, their children, to, to play together. Then I had a friend just write me a minute ago about Wordle and about how his, um, his uh, sixth grade daughter had, uh, had just come and, and actually connect, you know, played something with him in the New York Times, something that had never happened before with him. You know, and so like that's, that's great for us. And it's, a, it's a, a really powerful connection. Gets back to that emotional connection we were talking about. That's the backbone of our, of our subscription. You mentioned a little while ago that, that you kind of saw this, this area that, that your company is in right now is nascent. It's really just building up at, at the moment. How expansive do you think this could be? And I guess maybe to a degree, it's limitless to where the world of content is kind of taking us right now. Yeah, like I said, we, you know, we see ourselves in a, in a in a portion of content, right? We're about we're about quality news and information. We're about helping people understand the world, um, and um, and so we're going to play in those spaces. But that's a really wide area. Um, and like I said, I, you know, we see an addressable audience of as many as 135 million. And, and, and we have a, a newly stated goal of 15 million subscribers, which is doubling from where we are. Um, and so um, those are pretty ambition, ambitious, particularly when you consider that, a, you know, a million might have one day been thought of the highest level we could get to. Also, if you even think back to, you know, the height of the, of the newspaper product, um, you know, it's, 
even from subscription, that's much larger than 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 the newspaper ever would have been for a paying audience. Right. Then you look at the number of people who read us, and you're talking about 150 to 200 million a month. I mean, that's just a much wider influence than than we ever could have dreamed, even at the height of the of the paper business. So I, I would imagine, though, that at, at the core, in terms of the news gathering and as you said, the 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 dissemination of information. That's something that in this process probably hasn't changed a lot. I mean, maybe some of the methods you go about it in terms of the digital technology and such, but at the core, the reporters covering stories and going out and doing all of that work, that really doesn't change, does it? it, it no, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. And the um, you know, the the thing that's made the Times successful through all of the um, traumatic time that the industry has had is that the one thing that's been constant, even as everything else has changed, has been our commitment to the the quality original journalism and to the journalists who make it. Um, and so back in 2008, 2009, when the industry real, you know, when, when the problems in the industry really got exacerbated by the financial collapse, um, other places you know, cut their their newsrooms. The New York Times made the decision not to and sold everything else that we had. And mm-hmm. and and but the one thing that was protected was the newsroom. Um, and that today, even though that that made for very tough times for a period, today that's what's paid off because in the end, that's what people are are, are paying for, right? And mm-hmm. um and 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 like I said before, the thing people need to see is that seeking out our journalism is going to give them something better than what they can get from a platform or they can get for free. Otherwise, they're never going to pay for it from us. And that's a really high bar. I understand you had uh, been a part of a Wharton marketing class recently uh, with uh, Patty Williams, I believe it was, uh, who's a great uh, friend of ours. Um, So what was the message that you were sending to them about where your kind of industry is right now? Um, Yeah. And so I've been doing that class for for quite a few years, um, actually, even before I got to the Times. And um, I always it's always great to talk to Professor Williams students. And I appreciate she invites me. Um, uh, You know, the the main message was the digital subscription uh, transformation, the digital transformation that we were talking about. Um, You know, I think people still people are always surprised to hear about you know, what the Times has, has been able to accomplish. And they don't think about it every day. You know, it's it's a brand you think about a lot, but you still think about it in 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 very much sort of the full context as opposed to, you know, where we are right now. And um just talking about that, one of the things we, we spent a lot of time on um, you know, was what what was the um the the point that you really have to like in some ways modest success stands in the way of of real transformation and it wasn't until the innovation report that that we did in 2014 when we really got the strategic clarity that allows us to make dramatic change um and uh and once that happened once we decided that we had to change or we would be in real trouble success has really come since then um so that was the message let me ask you this then. I mean, because your your role now as chief marketing officer of the Times, but you've worked in a, a lot of other areas, a lot of other companies, even spent time on Capitol Hill. How have those experiences kind of added to your understanding and thought process of being the CMO of the Times? Yeah, the 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 thing I believe look, the thing I spent most of my time on was I worked at Unilever um for quite a few years. You know, it's a product consumer product company. Um, and the thing about consumer products is you've got a good that you care a lot about, that you're trying to sell to an audience that doesn't really care, 
in, in a market that's really, um, it's really saturated. So you've got to earn people's attention. You've got to tell them why this matters more than something else they can do. And you've got to tell them in a world where they're barely thinking about it. Um, and frankly, my, my DC days weren't that different than that. Um, you know, I believe the thing mattered, but reality is people are busy in their lives and going out and doing stuff. And you've got to tell them you got to pay attention to this. Um, and the New York Times is 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 in many ways similar as well. Is that you know we become a, a a subscription product. We're not a physical product, but we're we're a product because we're something that the consumers are subscribing to. And what we've got to do is earn your earn your trust and tell you to pay attention in a world where you're not thinking about it a lot. David, great to have you with us for a few moments. Thanks for your time. All the best, and we'll stay in touch. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. David Rubin, who's Chief Marketing Officer with the New York Times. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.